of last week, and we've come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a chapter that I believe is maybe the most important chapter in the Bible, certainly one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Now, a lot of people might quarrel with that because, oh, you think, well, important chapters, come on, they're... 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it's, it's maybe the most important verse to put on a wedding announcement or something, but is it really the most important? But I think that you'll see here as we look into it just a little as we start into it, it's vitally important. It's critical for us as Christians. In fact, the first three verses that we look at today to me are maybe the three most scary verses in the Bible for me personally. We've been seeing through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as Paul talks about the importance of unity, working together. He, he mentions that we all are made different. We're all designed as individuals with special gifts and capacities. We all have a place to take within the body, and it's important that we find out what it is that God has designed us to do and to do what he has designed us to do to allow other people also to do what they are designed to do, that we all find our role within the body, and then that we all work together, cooperating, fitting together, so that collectively we are able to present the body of Christ to the world. Together we're able to work so that as we're doing what we're called to do, we fit together and we find that ultimate fulfillment of what life is all about. And in Paul in chapter 12, talking about that and talking about the gifts, chapter 14, he will continue specifically on implications of particular gifts that they had some problems with, and that's a really interesting chapter. But right in the middle between chapters 12 and 14, he plops this 13th chapter, a chapter about love because it's so important for love to be at the center of our church life, to love, for love to be at the center of who we are and how we serve and, and how we relate to each other. It's that critical that he sticks it right there in the middle. Now, this isn't a new thought. As, as Paul go, ends chapter 12, he says, look, you guys want the best gifts? Great but I show you a more excellent way. Love is that more excellent way. But it's not something that Paul just kind of came up with. And that's why, in some ways, if this was all we knew about love, then it would definitely be the most important chapter. But it's always been about love from the very beginning, really. That's what God has been trying to communicate to people. But just so that you see this in, in the context, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. God had given the law to the children of Israel and communicated what they needed to know, gave all these commandments that through discovering their inability to follow the commandments, they would recognize how much they need God. But he, he kind of sums things up as Moses gives them what, what the Jews call the Shema, something that Orthodox Jews will pray every day, Shema is just the Hebrew word for here, and that's how it starts here. Verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, listen up. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. He goes on and says, teach them to your kids, hang them from your doorpost, wear them between your eyes, strap them to your wrist in every way possible. Don't forget this. Love God. Now, Jesus, in commenting on this passage, summarizing the law, Matthew chapter 22, turn over there. Jesus had been arguing with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, and now a lawyer gets a hold of him. <laughs> In verse 35, Matthew chapter 22. And it says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? See, they realized Jesus, when talking about the law, had a different spin on it than most of their theologians did. And so they were hoping to trap him down and get him to say, okay, what's the most important part of the law? But Jesus said to them in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He substitutes mind for strength as the Septuagint does. The point of it, though, is love God with everything you have. And he says, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. He goes, here, I'll give you another one that really flows forth out of the first one. And this one's lesser known. It comes from Leviticus chapter 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus says, basically, if you get these two things down, love God and love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. If you do that, that's all that the Bible is talking about. That's all that it's saying. That summarizes the law and the prophets. Now, look at John chapter 13, because Jesus, at the end of his life, he was about to go to <coughs> be with the Father. And there in the upper room with the disciples, <coughs> Earlier in chapter 13, he washed the disciples' feet, gave them that example of, of servanthood, of servitude. And Judas must have felt awful after Jesus washed his feet, and he was about to go out and betray him, but he left. And so Jesus began to talk to them. In verse 31, <coughs> he said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. And they had these dumb looks on their faces like, what? What are you saying? <laughs> glorify, glorify, glorify. He goes, well, let me give you the little children version. Little children, I'm going to be with you for a little while longer. and You'll be looking for me. And just like I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you can't go. So now, what I'm saying to you is this. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Get the message? 
He says, it's a new commandment. It's really the old commandment. It's what the whole Bible's about. But I'm giving it to you a little different because I'm telling you, love each other the way I've loved you. I've shown you what love is. I've demonstrated it for you. And now I'm telling you, love one another. That's how people will know that you're a Christian, if you love each other. This certainly must have touched John, who recorded it here in his gospel. But John himself became known as the apostle of love. John, in his own gospel, when he refers to himself, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because he was so touched by Jesus' love that that's what he wanted to be known as. Later in his little epistle of 1 John, in chapter 4, he, he commanded the people, he, he said, just like Jesus had told them, love one another. He said, be loved. You've been loved. Love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. Three powerful words. God is love. He is the essence of love. He came to show us love. The cross demonstrated it for us finally and ultimately. And so clearly, as we come to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the great love chapter, we are coming to the heart of what God wants to communicate. We are coming to what matters most in what we apply of his word and of his life to our lives. It boils down to ultimately to love. Now, I've heard people say that 1 Corinthians 13 is a definition of love. But reading through the chapter, I don't see it as a definition of love. Because the truth is, I don't think we need anyone to define love for us. Oh, we pretend like we don't really know what it is. You know, back in the mid-'80s, the great hairband foreigner had that anthem song, I want to know what love is. And they had the choir singing behind them and everyone, oh yeah, I want to know what love is. I want you to, you know, Jesus would say, you know what? You already know what it is. You, you realize how important it is. The problem is you don't do it. The Beatles said, all you need is love. They were onto something. But like Larry Norman said in one of his songs, the Beatles said, all you need is love, and then they broke up. <laughs> and that's, that's our lives. We all go, oh, yeah, love, love, love. We need it. Oh, we want love. We know I care about love. I appreciate love. But ultimately, mostly what 1 Corinthians 13 does is tell us how important love is, and then it reminds us of what love isn't so that we can see what it is in our lives that isn't loving and remove that so that what's left is love. See, when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you've been touched by him and the Holy Spirit has been placed within you, as we've seen throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, you have love. That love is there or you're not a Christian. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. It grows forth from the Spirit. Our problem isn't that we don't know what love is. Our problem isn't that, you know, we need to try to be more loving. Our problem is we suppress the love that God puts within us because we don't value it the way we need to. And so often we start out in love, 
like the church in Ephesus, as Jesus talked to them in Revelation chapter 2. He goes, man, you guys are doing a bunch of great stuff, but you've left your first love. You don't love as much as you did at first. And for so many of us, we see this as the description of our lives. We used to be more loving than we are. Love was something that at one point came so naturally to us. And yet other things have suffocated that love and crowded it out. And now things matter to us more than love does. And as a result, we need this reminder that we have in 1 Corinthians 13, calling us back to where we were when we started, calling us back to really the center of who we are as Christians. And so, again, the reason why I say these first three verses that we're going to look at are scary to me And I I mean that very, very sincerely. It's because if I don't get these three verses, then the Lord tells us here, everything that you're saying is just noise. Everything that you're wanting to be, ultimately you are nothing. Everything that you're trying to accomplish can ultimately profit you nothing. And I really don't want to get to the end of my life and find out I didn't accomplish anything. Find out ultimately I wasn't anything. And so this scares me, as it should all of us. But let's read these three verses. In our translation, it translates it, though. Um, Perhaps a better translation would be, even if. The idea is he's postulating a really extreme possession of giftedness. And taking it to an extreme... And he's saying, even if I spoke with the tongues of men and of angels, they valued and were impressed with the gift of tongues as they were impressed with other gifts that involved communication, gifts like teaching and prophecy and words of wisdom and knowledge and so on. They wanted to say the right things. Now, there are people who have taken this tongues of men and of angels and and are suggesting that the gift of tongues is sometimes speaking in human languages and other times it's speaking in angelic languages. And that may be the case. I don't know. There's nothing else in Scripture that ever talks about the angels having their own individual language. And I think this Scripture is a weak support for building that case, but if that's what you want to believe, that you're speaking angelic languages, fine, go ahead. What he's saying is, man, if I could communicate so that I could say everything that people say, and then everything that angels say also, but I don't have love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. No offense to you drummers, but he's just saying, all I'm doing is bang, 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 ring, ring, ring. I'm just making noise. I, I'm just like a ringtone on a telephone if I'm saying things, but without love. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and I don't have love, I'm nothing. And even if I were to give all my goods to feed the poor. And even if I gave my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. So first of all, communication. Communication's important. 
to develop the capacity to say things in a way that people understand whether it's a linguistic adjustment or whether it's just being eloquent and having powerful capacities to speak, that's something that we value and treasure. We appreciate it when there is someone who can just turn a phrase and say things just right. The, the ability to communicate. But he says, if you have unlimited ability to communicate, but that what ultimately comes out is not love, then you're just like a ringing cymbal. You're just like a, a loud buzz of white noise. And this is important because to all of us, we think we have something to say. We have things that we want to communicate. We want to be heard. We want to be listened to. And yet so often the problem with our communication is a lot of communication comes across, but people aren't hearing that love that God tells us to have at the center of our communication, to speak the truth in love. And so we can say things that may be valid, but no one hears it ultimately. And, you know, think about all the words that you speak in a day, then in a week, and in your life. Maybe all the things you've written to others and all the things that you've tried to bring across. How would you like it if everything that you said to other people, it just sounded like blah, 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 blah. Well, it does if you don't have love. If they can't hear you saying, I love you, in the middle of every, even if you're saying, I love you, but they don't feel it, they don't know that there's that love there, then everything else that you've communicated, you've just thrown it away. You've just wasted your time. It may be beautiful. It may be eloquent. They may even tell you, boy, that was really great the way you said that. But as far as the Lord's concerned, the fruit of those gifts, the fruit of that communication, it's zip, zero, zilch without love. It's just noise. You're just making noise. But then he goes on. Hey, if you have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, you're smart. You really understand things. You have a perception that's greater than most other people's. You've gone through life. You've learned from your experiences, and you're a wealth of knowledge. You get it, you look and you understand and you have so much to offer. And yet so often, people who know the most, people might even be impressed with what they know, but often you'll find that you've learned the answers to all the tough questions. And no one's asking you those questions. No one really cares what you know. No one really cares what an expert you are. No one really is impressed with how wise you are. Why? Because ultimately, if you build up that wisdom without love, then that wisdom doesn't do anything for you. As someone has said, people will never care what you know until they know that you care. And that's what Paul is saying here. You can end up being a zero, being nothing, as a wealth of knowledge and understanding all mysteries. And then he says, you can have all faith so that you can remove mountains. 
You could do great things, great accomplishments. You could point at buildings and say, I designed that building. I built it. If it wasn't for me, it wouldn't be there. I was involved in this ministry and that activity and this thing. Look at me. Look what I did. Look how much I accomplished. I knew about it before anyone else did. I believed when no one thought it could be possible. I had this great faith and and confidence and look what God has done. And the evaluation that rattles back is, what, are you trying to say you're something? You're nothing. Because I don't care how great you are. I don't care what you've accomplished. If I don't know that you care for me, if I don't see the love of God flowing through your life, so what? That you've done great things in the past. Why should we care? Why should that matter? All of your vision all of your wisdom, all of your expertise, it's wasted. Nobody wants to hear it. No one's impressed with that. The world isn't looking for someone who's smarter. When people see how smart you are, they may just resent the fact that you're smart. People hate people who always have answers. People love people who always care, who always love them. And what Paul is saying here is you can have all those gifts so that greatness exudes from you. You can be a kingmaker yourself. You can be the one who was there to help people get going, and now look, they're doing great things. But ultimately, if they don't see the love of God in your life, it really doesn't matter. No one's really all that impressed ultimately. And then finally in verse 3, if I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, a good thing to do. And even if I give my body to be burned, nobody's really asking you to do that, by the way. And I'm not sure what it would accomplish. But if you just completely burned yourself out to do things for people, to do things for God, but have not love, It's not going to do you any good. It profits nothing. Now, at the end of your life, wouldn't you like to know that you made a difference? Wouldn't you like to look back and say, it's been a great life. It's It's been a blessing to be where I've been, to know who I've known, to experience what I've experienced. Of course, we all want that significance about our lives. We all live our lives hoping that somewhere we're going to leave some footprints, something that matters, some kind of a legacy. That's why these verses scare me so much, because I do a lot of talking and communicating, and is it really just clang, clang, blah, blah, blah? And I do a lot of studying. And I try to understand things and explain things. And I try to have faith to, you know, to move mountains, to make differences. And am I really nothing? And I, and I really do give of what I have and what I am. And sometimes I feel like I'm, my body is burning out. Do I want that to be for no profit? Does it not matter at all? But that's what Paul is saying here. That's what God is saying to each of us. Look, 
Love is the main thing. And if you get past that to other stuff, you're wasting your time and your energy. If your life is designed to accomplish great things, but love isn't there, you're doing it for nothing. Nobody needs you to burn yourself out. Nobody needs you to give everything that you have. No one needs your wisdom to solve the secrets of the universe. Nobody needs your words specifically as a unique contribution. What they need is your love. And what you need is to understand that you are loved by God and that he gives us an opportunity to love each other. But when we get past that, we're Ephesus. It's not that we don't love. I think some people come across as really unloving, but they really are very loving people if you get to know them and you dig down deep enough. But on the surface, there's this crust, there's this meanness, there's this anger, there's this arrogance, and that's what we see. And deep down inside, some of those people are very loving people. But what the Lord is saying here is, no, the expression of me working in your life has to be, I care, I love, I am loved, and I extend that love. And if that doesn't happen, all the rest of it is going to leave you alone and empty and wondering what you just did with your life, wondering why, wondering why you... It hasn't been different than that. How come when I was younger, it was so easy to be loving, and as I'm older, it's become so much more difficult? Sometimes that's the case. Now, there are some people who are just examples of God's love even as they grow older. There are some people I know, the older they get, the more loving they are. And it just seems like they exude that love of God that I don't know a lot else and they don't remember a lot that they want to remember, but I get they love me. They care. You know, I I think of the Apostle John, who as a young man was one of the sons of thunder, fiery guy. As an old man, he became more known for love than anything else. There as he was retired and 100 years old or so, he had just written book of Revelation, which would wear out anyone. I mean, you read the book of Revelation, you're worn out. He saw it happen and wrote it down. And after that, it seemed like he was done preaching. But still, they say as an old man, they would carry him in on a chair and put him in front of the church. And John would sit there and he would look out at the people and he would say, beloved, love one another. In other words, God loves you. Love each other. That was... That was all he had to say. Karl Barth, who was arguably one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, I have issues with him, but I love him. (laughs) When he was an old man, people talked to him and said, Dr. Barth, what, what is the greatest theological truth that you've come up with? How would you summarize everything that you've learned in a lifetime of studying God? And he said, well, it was something I learned from my mom. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the kind of old dude I want to be. (laughs) There are some people who, sad to say, as they get older, it seems like the love dwindles. And some people who are older become mean and crotchety, ornery. Hey, life does that to you, I understand. 
But how sad if we lose that which matters most because we're tired of life, because we've given all that we can give, and then the thing that matters most in our old age, we lose it. Again, you know what love is. If you have a dog, you know, I I don't own dogs. I, I love dogs, but I don't own them simply because I do love them. I had kids because kids generally outlive you. Dogs usually don't. I don't like that prospect. But dogs are such pure love. You know, they, when you come home, they're just excited to see you. And they're jumping up and for you to notice them. And if you let them lick your face or whatever, it's like, that's the purest love. The Greek word for worship is actually a word that comes from dog. <laughs> the Greek word for dog. It's, it's cuddling up and just being close to God. That's, that's what worship is about. And, you know, as we draw to the end of our lives, we've got to start thinking, you know, is that what I want to communicate? When people see me, do I want them to know that I'm glad to see them? Do I want them to know that they matter to me, that I care about them? Or do I just want to endure? Do I just want to make it through and try to last and hang in there? Is that what I want to settle for? Again, what kind of an impression do you want to leave? Where do you want it to ultimately say what the worth and the contribution of your life is? Is it that you said great things? Is it that you understood great things? Is it that you accomplished great things? Is it that you gave yourself in a a deep and a personal way? Or is it, I saw love. I saw love in you. And I didn't always understand what you said. And sometimes your ideas were sort of convoluted. And sometimes you had faith in the wrong stuff. And a lot of times you gave your body to be burned and you would have been better off not. But I knew that you loved. I saw God's love in your life. And that's the ultimate branding. That's the ultimate picture of what a life well lived is all about. You know, it's important that we teach the right things. It's important that we understand the word of God. It's important that we serve him. All of those things really matter. One of the things that's really puzzling to me, though, is sometimes it seems like the people who care the most about being right are people who seem to love the least. There are people who the goal of their life is to correct people who have wrong theology. And I wonder how much more effective they would be. They're caring about something really good and right. Man, I, I believe absolutely the veracity of God's word and faithfulness to what he teaches. They're so important, but I wonder if we could communicate that to people who are wrong in a way that shows that we really love them, how much further we would get. Because... The truth is, I think all the people who are out there screaming about how wrong everyone else is, they're not changing anyone. Why? Because if you have all wisdom and all knowledge and so much faith that you can move mountains, but without love, you're nothing. 
Nobody hears what you have to say. It's just making noise, sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. How about the people around us in our lives? How about our, our loved ones, people in our own family? We're giving them a lot of words, and we want to pass our wisdom on to them. We want them to correct their ways. We've given a lot. We've sacrificed a lot for them, and that's hard. When you look at your family and see what you've poured out for them and what you've tried to do to them, and to ask that ultimate question, is love at the center? Do they really know that you love them? Because if they don't, all the talk doesn't matter. All the wisdom doesn't matter. All the giving doesn't matter. It's love. And as we go through this chapter and take a deeper look at it, let's remember the point of these first three verses. Is if you don't get this, you don't get anything. If you don't get this just right off your life, right now, it's not going to matter. It doesn't matter what else you do until love becomes the essence of who we are. Nothing else that we do will ever matter. It's sad for me to think my life so far, how many times I gave my body to be burned without love. How many times I studied and and understood and believed without love? How many times I put beautiful things into words that that are wonderful things from God's scripture, but his love didn't come out? And and what he writes across that is he just wasted a lot of years. He just wasted a lot of effort. He wasted your words because love didn't show through. I can't do anything about what's been in the past, and neither can you. But what we can do is, looking forward to the future, saying, God, I don't ever want my words, my wisdom, my faith, my service, my sacrifice to ever be wasted again. I want your love to be at the center of all of it. It's not that hard. It really comes when you understand how much it matters. You know what love is. Don't give me the old foreigner's lyrics. You know what love is. You know when you're being loving and you know when you aren't. And everyone else does too. We're not fooling anyone. It's just a question of you want your life to matter or not. You want your words to matter or not, your wisdom. And that's laid out for us here. And this is the most important lesson that we'll learn as Christians. Because if we don't learn it, everything else we learn is down the drain, down the tubes. Back in the early days of Calvary, there was a guy, Ken Gullickson, that wrote a song called Charity that was basically the words of this chapter put into a song. The chorus of the song said, if I have not charity, if love does not flow from me, I am nothing. Jesus, reduce me to love. And that's what Jesus wants to do, to get the other stuff out of the way so that we're reduced to just love, to caring. That that's what lasts when everything else is gone. That's my prayer for each of us. That's my prayer for us as a church, that we would be known for love, that each of us personally would be known for 
caring and loving, that that's how we would interact, that that's how we would share, that that's how we would teach, that that's how we would raise our kids, our grandkids, that's how we would treat our spouses, was like love really matters. And without it, nothing else does. My prayer is Jesus, reduce us to love. Take us back to that first place that we were. We've left our first love, get back to it. Stop letting it be crowded out of our lives. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, you don't really have a basis. You know love because you know what you're missing. But God loves you deeply. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to place his love in your heart so that then you are able to love as he does. Then you're able to do other things empowered by his love. And if you want a relationship with him, he loves you and he wants to know you personally. After the service, after we sing the final song, there'll be people up there in the front who just would love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus Christ to assure you, yeah, Jesus does love you, really does. And he wants to know you personally and intimately. Don't leave here tonight and keep looking for love in all the wrong places. The right place to find love is with Jesus Christ who died for you, who loves you. So come down and let people pray for you if that's what you need. And for the rest of us, let's just ask God to keep love at the forefront of everything that we do, to remember that if that isn't our theme, then we're wasting our lives. Let's pray. Lord, you've shown us love. How in the world could we not see that? But God, we've crowded it out sometimes by valuing other things more than love. Lord, please, help us to get back to our first love. Help us to allow your love to saturate all that we are and all that we do. We're sorry when we don't. Stupid. We're sorry for wasting so much of what you've given us. But Lord, we want to move forward in your love. And so we ask you to do that in our lives. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.